0: So, like, take off to the great white north. Beauty, beauty. Take off, it's a beauty way to go. Jeez. Take off, you hosers.
1: Welcome to the fourth episode of Hosers. My name is Chris Killingsworth. Joining me today is my colleague, also co-host, Carter Lupel. Carter, what's going on, man? How's it going, Chris? It's going well, man. I'm uh, excited to uh, t- to just have you here. It's a uh, nice day outside. Dude, 12 degrees outside in December is pretty sick, right? I know. I walk the, walk the dog's. Like
0: an hour to a Starbucks to get their Puppuccinos.
1: Puppuccinos. What's yeah. a Puppuccino? It's just whipped cream in a in a short glass. Uh, is that kosher for dogs? Can dogs eat that? <laughs> These two can.
0: Balto has an iron. He's eaten full plates of cookies, full bags of brownies, like packets of. The amount of times have had to be like, well, Balto, it was nice knowing you. Like, I'll see you too. <laughs> Like, tomorrow we won't see each other again.
1: Yeah, like... You were a great pet. It's going to be so unfortunate when I have to tell everybody that you ate an entire thing of two-bite brownies.
0: It like It's like he can break a safe and get into it and then finish the brownies.
1: I honestly can't fault your dog for that. Two-bite brownies are great. <laughs> what do you want to get started with? we got a couple of things that we want to talk about on today's show. Thanks to everybody who checked out the episode with Tim Waugh. Sounds like I mean it looks like it was pretty well received on SoundCloud. Lots of people checked it out. Did you get any feedback from uh, our episode with Tim Carter?
0: Not really. Just Tim's really knowledgeable. Like he's a he'd be a, he'd be a good addition um, to to the show. But I I don't like if you were on full time, it'd be uh, like it'd be way over my head. You guys, you guys know a lot about prospecting, and that was that was pretty wild. It was it was fun. It was fun to kind of steer it a bit, but it was also fun to sit back and listen um, because you guys have such an extreme wealth of uh, knowledge when it comes to prospects and people coming up in the league. Um, it was really fun to kind of learn about some of the names that I had heard in passing, but not so much about. I dragged out my N64 a couple of days after our our talk. So Carter is
1: showing me NHL Breakaway 98 for the Nintendo 64 with... Our boy, Keith Kachuk, on the cover.
0: So I didn't even look close at him. I just assumed video game cover, it was Ronick.
1: Yeah, I feel like Ronick may have been on the cover of one of the games.
0: Yeah, he was on the NHL, um, not like the Breakaway one, but like the EA Sports ones. He was on the cover of one of those.
1: I don't even remember Breakaway 98, to be honest. No, well,
0: I couldn't find the cable that plugs the TV to, or the Nintendo to the TV. So I've yet to play this, so... Maybe I'll bring it with me when I come home for the holidays and we can join in together playing this.
1: I like it. No, that looks cool. The first like real NHL game I remember playing as a kid was, I want to say, it was NHL 97 for the Sega Saturn. That was the first console that me and my brother had. So my dad bought Cameron and I uh, Sega Saturn that we had to share that stayed at my dad's house. We played it like till we were, I don't know, old enough to say, why do we have a Sega system and not a Sony system? And uh, well, we had a PlayStation one at my mom's place and my brothers and I would just crush NHL. And uh, all I remember, I think it was NHL 97. It was one of like the first, not the first EA ones, but one of the first games that you could get on a disc. And John Van Beesbrook, a uh, friend of the show, was on the cover of this game. I believe it was 97. I'm almost positive. Um, But just a quick memory I have of that game. My older brother, Chris, such a dick. He would play this game as the Flyers, (laughs) which is weird.
0: That's when, like, Pronger and Lindros and everything were on the
1: Flyers? Well, I remember Lindros specifically. And, like, Mikhail, Ren-
0: sure. Mikhail Renberg and, like, okay. John LeClaire. Pronger might have been on the Blues at that time still. He
1: may have been, yeah. My, so so Chris would play as Eric Lindros, and when Eric Lindros got the puck in these games, you couldn't, like, really navigate around him. If he had the puck, he was defending the puck so well, like video game speak, at least, for 1997. You just <laughs> could not get the puck away from him. Couldn't yeah. poke check. Couldn't anything, which was kind of my move when I'd play and. I get a lot of tripping penalties, but he used to get the puck. And I remember this as a kid, whenever he'd get the puck, he would just go. And like, I was screaming at the TV because like, there's no way I could get the puck off of the stick. <laughs> and I wonder if he remembers that. Cause oh, yeah, he remembers tormenting you like that. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I'm so distraught by it as an adult. And, yeah, he just skated around in his own zone with the puck, knowing that I couldn't get the puck, and I'd, like, throw the controller across the room because I was just rattled. But, <laughs> uh, no, good times. Do you Did you guys ever play those games growing up? I know we kind of touched on it on the last episode, but do you remember, like, NHL games when you were a kid?
0: Oh, yeah. Like, so, my brother, Connor, who's next in age to me, he wasn't, like, he still played hockey and stuff like that, but he was definitely, like he had more of like a right brain personality where like he was more into um like art and the video games and things like that and he like really thrived as a kid on the computers and the video games and everything and so he had all of the like crazy like are they called like role playing games or things like i yeah they're
1: called RPGs uh,
0: so i i I still own an Xbox 360 like that's that's like what my biggest system is like, and I just use it for Netflix. Um, so I'm not a big video game player, but that's him-
1: such bullshit. Because I know you play NHL. We've talked about it.
0: Yeah, on X, ex- I play NHL Two K fourteen on Xbox Three Sixty. <laughs> but growing up, like we, we had NHL ninety four on Super Nintendo. Like I used to love playing that. Um, had it on Sega as well. Um, those games were sick because you could play as like Hartford and. Um, and like all those wicked cool jerseys like that was my favorite part about playing them is that like the jersey like you got to play as your favorite NHL players. And then I remember like the the biggest one that my brother and I got into was Gretzky 99 for N64 like Slapshot 99 or something. And then um, Scott Stevens hits on GameCube.
1: Yeah, I remember Scott, Scott, Scott Stevens, Stevens hits. hits. I'm just looking at it. It was NHL 97
0: and Sam Viesbrook was on there.
1: Yeah, so Van Beesbrook was obviously the goalie for the Panthers from 93 to 98. And here's some trivia for you. NHL 97 was the most recent game of the NHL series to feature a goaltender on the cover until your boy Marty Brodeur in NHL 14. Those games were sick, man. I remember I had NHL 2008, I think. I had it on my PSP. And when I used to work... Well, this is kind of not not a good look for your boy ck but i worked for a uh, company that is now out of business so i guess whatever who cares but i basically like babysat this retail store because we never got any customers and i had nhl 2008 and i believe ov was on the cover on my psp and i crushed that game i would play i basically played it until the disc stopped working um but that was the game that like every player had like a particular skill. So like you had some guys that were like playmakers and you had guys that would be like clutch players where their stats were raised in like the heat of the game towards the end of the game. Dude, that game was so sick, but anyways, I digress. Okay. Moving on. We could talk about NHL video games for a little while here, but we got, we got some pressing hockey news to talk about.
0: I was going to say first ones our big OT win in Lindsay, Ontario.
1: Oh boy, what a Bar-gingo. game. Bar- that was maybe the funniest like hockey bro talk I've ever <laughs> witnessed in my life. I was so happy to be a part of it.
0: Um, so as many of you guys know, I um, and am, am head coach for the Fleming Knights uh, men's hockey team. It's a college hockey team in Ontario, part of the OCAA. Um, and our assistant coach had a family member to attend to. And I needed an extra set of eyes on the ice. Um, they're really The program's really underfunded, and we're trying to build up. And so there's only two people on the coaching staff for this friendly game. And I um, enlisted in my friend and co-host Chris here, and I asked him to come join me um, to be kind of a stand-in for this event. And uh, Chris, why don't you tell him what happened?
1: I've never screamed so much in my entire life. <laughs> and that's coming from... As some of you probably know, somebody who like used to play in like punk and metal bands and have spent a good chunk of my life screaming at the top of my lungs. <laughs> I was so so invested in it, and it was great. Like I I can't even describe how much fun I had. Uh, Pick Carter up. We met in Whitby. Went to Subway. Carter's off the uh, off the cheese right now, so I got double the cheese on my sub for free. For free, which was. I should have known that that would set the tone for the night, <laughs> and uh, it was just funny. Like you know, we haven't had like much time to talk about it, like on the phone or in person, because I haven't seen you since it happened. But there was maybe a lack of direction at one point until you kind of came along and like set the set the wheels in motion to, to to build a team that was competitive. And man, I I had so much fun. Those those guys are they're amazing. Really, really, really good kids um, who, for some of you guys who may be listening uh, from outside of Ontario, uh, we have a listener from Mexico, so Mexican listener, I'm referring to you. These kids just recently, uh, maybe you could explain it a bit better than I could, Carter, but the, there was a strike in Ontario for our colleges and universities. Could you maybe elaborate a little bit on that, Carter?
0: Yeah, so the... um the, the teachers union in the colleges um, wanted equal amount of full time jobs um, in relation to contracted work, where the split was somewhere between like 10 to 15 um, percent as opposed to the like that were, was full time as opposed to the 90 to 85 percent that was contracted. Um, and that's simply because of a role, enrollment. I wasn't really in favor of the strike. I don't think it was reasonable to ask that and to put students out for five weeks. Um, But as it pertains to us, um, most of these boys were not on the ice for five weeks. Um, One of the key contributors to the game forgot his equipment at school when he went back up home many hours away from the college, and he hadn't played in five weeks. Um, We had had the Berlin Wall on the blue line that was blocking shots left, right, and center. Oh, my God.
1: That was fascinating to watch. Well, because that kid's like new to the team, too. It
0: was my first time seeing him. Yeah. He showed up. I was like, who the hell are you?
1: But yeah, when he went down, and like we're talking like the other team, well, the team that we were playing against, you got to, I don't know. I think their forward group maybe wasn't firing on all cylinders that night, and when they were, they were like, oh, let's wind up for a slap shot five feet in front of the goalie. (laughs) and here's this like younger he's younger right i think it's like his first year in college just chris russell just blocking all of the shots just a one.
0: remember when hal Hal gill used to go down on one knee and take the pucks to the (laughs) to the ligaments yeah that's (laughs) that's what this kid was doing
1: oh it was so great he just i think there was like a fire right because of this strike and my mom works uh works for the college and she told me a little bit about it and you know kind of explaining both sides to me and um yeah like that's that's, it's fascinating because i was just kind of getting the feeling that these kids just wanted to play because they haven't been able to play while they were on strike and you know i think some of them had to you know kind of skate the rust off but yeah, yeah it was a good night okay so carter take us through the epic overtime win
0: okay well as Chris said they just wanted to play and even though this was a friendly game this was their hockey game um, so we're playing Trent University and like you said their forwards aren't firing in all cylinders but they have a few guys that um, they're v- very much like Eric Lindros in uh, 97 like as soon as they get the puck you
1: 89 man you couldn't touch him 89 kid was so good. Like, big was, guy, probably like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six, and handsome. Got hands. Oh, I was going to say he's got hands, and you're like, he's handsome. <laughs>
0: well, he's got hands. I said, and handsome. Like Oh, this, perfect. This handsome. kid had it all.
1: <laughs> he did, yeah. Um, and I think he scored
0: the five goals that were <laughs> That <went up laughs> I think there. he
1: put up most of them. Um, yeah.
0: But, no, this kid – and, like, there was – like, so our, our bottoms – or, like, our back line, I think – four out of the six were new with us. And so like our defense were just struggling because they were shuffling around all night, trying to find who fit with who Tommy Shear could only carry them on his back for so long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the Berlin wall can only block so many shots. But um, so a lot of the time we saw them running around, they finally caught their stride by the second period, third period. They, uh, they were behind two goals. They, they won the period came up and then went into overtime um,
1: Which was wild. We should maybe touch on that breakaway.
0: Okay, so overtime happens. So, well, just before overtime, uh, Chris actually just refilled the water bottles, came back. 89 gets a breakout, breakaway pass, comes down in our goalie. You want to explain gain or save?
1: I don't even know. I Yeah, so how would I describe it? Basically what happened was... Their defenseman had, like, a really, really great breakout pass, like, right down the middle. And I don't know where our guys were or, like, what the deal was. But 89...
0: Had just come out of the box.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right, 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 So he had a bit of speed, came down on the left-hand side, uh, tried to go forehand and then go five hole. And I think I saw the most, like, Dominic Hasek-esque save I've ever seen in real life. Kick the toe, everything. Just... Oh, my God. Even yeah. just thinking about it just gets me fired up, man. This is in what the third period.
0: As soon as 89 had a breakaway, we're like, oh, game's over. Like This was yep. like th- three seconds left in the third period. That's right. And score was 5-5. We're like, it's over. So Tommy, Tommy Gainer makes one of the best saves we've ever seen in real life um, and then brings the game to overtime. And then two minutes into overtime, sweet Reese Honey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that... Reese, honey, love Reese.
0: Brand new on, sweet like honey. Brand new on the blue line, delivers the same down the middle, like over two like crosses over two line passes from the hash marks all the way up to their blue line to one of our boys, who goes in and just goes straight bardingo on the goalie. (laughs)
1: Oh my god, I can't believe you just said Bardingo.
0: I had to use it. That's what they said. Well, no,
1: that's the term that they were all using, and you and I looked like we're like 100. We're like, Bardingo? What is Bardingo? (laughs) Uh, Well, and it's funny because while I was watching the game, I was like really intent on their goalie. Like, we had way more shots on net than they did throughout the entire game, but their goalie was not like, kind of uh, glove side, like top glove side. He wasn't I don't know. He just I don't think he had a, a really good glove that night. No, he's and, very lateral, but Well, and then our boy just puts it top cheese Bardingo. You <laughs> not even say it was <laughs> a straight face. But yeah, basically the team turns around and it was for a game that like really no one had I mean bragging rights obviously cuz the teams are rivals. Like are rivals uh even though it was like a friendly and there was no real like nothing to really you know, win or win or lose, except for the uh, bragging rights, you could have sworn that they had won like a championship. Like mitts are flying everywhere, sticks are flying everywhere. Just so, like, what a great way for that game to end. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, you and I are uh, we're one and zero, <laughs> and that's that's a positive sign.
0: So we've decided to take Chris on as uh, the second assistant coach for the rest of the season, and hopefully continuing into the next season as
1: well hopefully i get re-signed but uh yeah thanks coach we're gonna get you a green jacket and uh dude i can't wait to get the green jacket oh i'm so excited (laughs) got real real bummed out on myself at how stupid i looked that night because you know your boy went to old navy like half an hour before he had to meet carter and just (laughs) was like give me the best khakis you have (laughs) and i returned them the next day because i looked like such a jackass
0: you went in and shouted, Make me look
1: like a coach.
0: Yeah, and, make
1: yeah, make me look like somebody who's not actually supposed to be there.
0: And then the uh then the pissed off minimum wage workers were like, uh, this way I guess.
1: Yeah. You know what the most embarrassing thing about that night was? Is I was so stressed for time because I wasn't sure what time I was gonna meet you in Whippy. So I bought the clothes. This is the greasiest move of all time. You ready for this? <laughs> yeah. Buy your clothes and then go back to the change room and go, can I change into the clothes I just bought? Just take the tags off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not going to do it in my car. I was like, all right, well. No, no I remember you know? like,
0: take the tags off and you tried them on and just like, or do they have security tags?
1: No, they got, dude, it's Old Navy. Like, come on. Obviously, they got security tags. They
0: got to protect those $4 pants. Huh?
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you besmirch the good <laughs> name of Old Navy, my favorite place in the world. Comfort but, uh, and
0: style and value. It's the tri- It's the trifecta.
1: Dude, their flannels are so sick. no seriously they do they've got good flannels i buy basically on black friday they do ten dollars for flannels i load up because i wear flannel every day they
0: have those vintage ones that are like super thick don't they
1: yeah they do buddy it's in real hoser fashion i go in and i get the finest of flannel garments that they have in the building (laughs) but anyways let's get into some hockey talk because uh, we've been going for quite a while. Oh, right what's now. better than our OT win? Literally nothing is better than the OT win. But let's talk about Seattle.
0: Okay. What do you want? Where do you want to start?
1: Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of exciting things to think about with Seattle. Um for for people who have maybe not read the news, there's been some really, really great great articles. On um, Seattle and what's been going on with the Key Arena, so more or less they're they're moving forward with renovation plans on Key Arena and hoping they're hoping that the uh, venue will be kind of top of the line creme de la creme for both an NHL and an NBA franchise within the next three years. So they already have a building, but the building would need to be like retrofit to accommodate like new seats, new whatever, for it to kind of have all the the trimmings to be an NHL or an NBA uh, arena. So on Monday, which was yesterday, we're recording on Tuesday right now, the Seattle City Council on Monday approved a memorandum of understanding, which I guess is just kind of like a verbal agreement would be my kind of understanding of, of what that means. Big words, man. But... They basically made an arrangement with the Los Angeles-based um, Oakview Group, um, who is looking to privately finance a $600 million remodel that would double the square footage uh, of the Key Arena, which which would be significant. So that facility is a little bit older, if you remember the Seattle Supersonics. But anyways, the Oakview Group um, has been focused on kind of acquiring an NHL franchise and doing something with Key Arena so that it could be not only a good spot for hockey and basketball, but also a concert facility, um, which is actually not too unlike what we talked about, what was going on in Houston a couple of episodes ago. So they want it to be not only great for hockey and basketball, but they also want it to be like a premier music and kind of entertainment venue as well, which I thought was interesting. You wonder how the funding changes if it's not just for sports purposes, right? The idea is that they could have the building ready by October 2020, and that's assuming that environmental approvals and demolition and whatever can start uh, this coming October. So basically a year from now, if they can get their stuff in order, uh, demolish, maybe not all of it, but part of it in order to do the reno's. Um Also, Oakview Group has lined up billionaire David Bonderman and filmmaker Jerry Bruckheimer as the lead owners for the franchise. You've got two sports franchises that that do well in Seattle, but people have always said like it makes sense for there to be another, um, you know, another franchise in the West Coast because certainly the East Coast probably will, you know, we'll probably see a team in Quebec at some point, but I imagine that that's going to be like a relocation scenario from from like a Carolina or, you know, maybe one of the more Southern teams. Um, but yeah, you just wonder, like, some of this stuff is crazy. Like, the Oakview group would be responsible for um, regular facility upgrades for the 39-year lease agreement. So, like, this is, like, a pretty big... I mean, in the big scheme of things, obviously, leases of this size are pretty common for the type of business that we're talking about. But 39 years, and if those uh, upgrade requirements are met, there are two eight-year lease extensions that will be activated and carry the entire life of the lease agreement to 55 years. So... That's that's a long time, man. And they must like they must have done their due diligence. If we're talking about that period of time, like you gotta imagine, even thirty nine years is a long time. You gotta think that they've done some homework, right?
0: A few things you have to consider is it'll be done in three years if they start yesterday. Like yeah, yeah. Like three years is like a super risky thing to say that it's gonna be completed by. they said it could likely take upwards of 700 million and if they're projecting that it could take upwards of 700 million before they even started this thing's going to skyrocket over a billion
1: yeah you got to think it's and, a pretty big investment but did you see the chris johnson from sportsnet also reported that the next NHL franchise, on top of, like, we're not even just talking building here. We're talking expansion fees for the next NHL franchise to be an additional 600 to $700 million.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, like, even though Seattle, like, they're in the top 25 media markets, um, and they're the only one in the top 25 media markets that doesn't have an NHL franchise, um, like, they could facilitate it. But I feel like this is a pretty big gamble to not even, like, this is basically an attraction tactic. Like, it's not like we have a team, we're going to build an arena for them. Or, like, we have a team and a fan base and everything like that. Let's give them a home. It's, like, it's, like, for love of the game. Like, if you build it, they will come. Like, that seems to be what they're operating off of. And it seems like a pretty, pretty scary stretch. Because not only does the Oakview group have to put out all this money, like, on this private bid... But they have to keep up the, faci- like, the maintenance of this thing mm-hmm. for the life of the lease. And there's, like, a very, like, real, like, harsh reality that there could never be a team, an NHL team that plays there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I, if it were me, I'd let my egg my egg hatch before I, like, knew what I was cooking. Mm-hmm. And... Like, they seem to be jumping the gun in some pretty terrible ways. Yeah, but you got to
1: think that they've probably at least had some preliminary talks with the NHL. To, like, even, like, for this to get out. Like, remember we talked about Houston on the last episode and, like, the owner, you know, he was out and said, like, we want a team in Houston. Like, we're ready to go. I haven't quite heard the same rumblings necessarily from either Mr. Bonderman or Jerry Bruckheimer. I can't even believe I'm saying that. Um, you know what I mean? But at the same time, you know, you look at the expansion fee, like, in and of itself. So, like, let's say, best case scenario, everything's done. October 2020 rolls around, um, and and we're in a place where we may see that 30-second franchise in Seattle. The whole thing is crazy to me because the Golden Knights paid $500 million, which was the most costly expansion fee um, of all time just to, to, to kind of put some other expansion teams side by side for a comparison here. The two previous clubs that joined the, the league before the Golden Knights, Columbus and Minnesota, paid expansion fees of $80 million. And that was in the year 2000. So we're talking like a substantial, at least almost 10 times, like what it would have been, uh, you know, less than 20 years ago. So... The, the whole thing to me seems really crazy. Um, prior to that, Nashville and Atlanta, who were the two teams before then, Atlanta obviously relocated back to Winnipeg, uh, paid $50 million. So one-tenth of the price that Foley paid for the Golden Knights. So, I mean, I feel like they have to have a bit of an yeah. inside track on what Gary Bettman and the NHL is thinking for them to get this far along into it um and then you know you wonder where Houston plays into it like where would you if if we could do it right now Carter like where do you think it, and if we look through the lens of like you know we're trying to grow the game and you know optics aside where do you put a club tomorrow do you put it in Houston Seattle or Quebec City
0: well if you if you just want to go by um like where the fans are um and what the fans want like people have been like crying for the Nordiques for years. Mm -hmm. And I feel like bringing the Nordiques back would kind of bring a cool taste back to the NHL. Um, so it would be really cool to see a franchise move up to Quebec. Um, if we're talking the most sense, um, I'd move Arizona to Houston tomorrow. Okay. Um, and sorry, Tim, sorry, Tim. But if we're talking about what relocation, um, makes the most sense in close proximity, that would make the most sense to me so that the fans aren't pulled too far away out of their comfort zone. And those players that are like rooted in Arizona, they wouldn't have too much of a move or a commute to keep playing um with their franchise. Um and they wouldn't really be in a place foreign to them. Um so the uh the passion the passionate side of my hockey fandom would like to see Quebec tomorrow um but what makes sense from a league and a players and a fan standpoint is moving Arizona to Houston tomorrow
1: so would you be like are you more inclined to, to put a team like it, I think relocation is kind of a different story only yeah. because we've seen time and time again that the NHL is willing to bail out Arizona um even when they owned the team for a period of time as well, when the team was technically owned by the league, when the ownership group was a little all over the place. If we take if we take relocation out of it and, like, we'll keep Quebec out of it, yeah. do you do Houston or Seattle for the 32nd franchise?
0: Because
1: um, I go Seattle, personally. Yeah,
0: like, it'd be cool because it would be nice to pop another team up on the West Coast. Like, other than, like, San Jose, you don't have like many teams that satisfy the North U S other than like you have Vancouver pretty much. Um,
1: well, I think the California teams are like a hotbed, whether we're talking about the sharks, LA or uh, the ducks. Oh,
0: or, or I'm just saying like, as that's like as far North as it goes on the West coast for hockey. is, is, San, is San Jose. Yeah. Um, so um, it would be, it, it would be cool to see another team on the West coast rather than another team in Texas. So I guess if we're going, like, straight on those those notions, I would say Seattle over Houston.
1: Yeah, that was kind of my thought, too. And I think, like, it would be really cool to get a team back there, um, you know, that, that could, you know, we've seen with the Vegas Golden Knights, right? Like, long yeah. are we, or, you know, long gone are the days where we've seen these expansion teams come in that are not competitive and they suck for, the you know, the first five years of the franchise existing. Um but, you know, it's also one of these situations where I think in a place like Seattle that has, you know, a junior hockey market, their fans are pretty rabid. Everything that I've seen with the Seattle Sounders and what you've seen from the Seahawks in recent years, um, you know, it's it's interesting. And like you said earlier, right, top 25 media markets, um, you know, you'd love to see what kind of damage they could do in that uh, Western Conference uh, when it you know a team gets added to kind of you know balance it out as it were, so um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but but we'll keep a, a close eye on the Seattle stuff as it develops.
0: Yeah. Um, the only thing the I next- could imagine is how cool they're uh, like if you think of Nashville's jersey, like Seattle's a music town just like Nashville, and you think of all of the, like cool little intricacies of Nashville's jerseys, it it would be cool to see what Seattle comes up with for a jersey.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they do a jersey and also have, like, flannel in it, just <laughs> as, like, a throwback to the grunge scene over there. Yeah. Um, they come <laughs> out to, like, even flow or something. They're like, and... <laughs> Fuck, I can't even think of, like, a funny team name. Oh, Se- funny. The, the Se- Seattle
0: Soundgarden! Se- Seattle Nirvana.
1: <laughs> that You weren't even trying on that
0: one. It's just a given, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's just like they come out to like uh, Alice in Chains or something. <laughs> Smells that like teen cool. Spirit, dude. So many grunge songs. <laughs> I love, I love that though. But you're right though. Like it is, it is music. Certainly, maybe a bit less appreciated in the way that like country music is so popular and and like polarizing in Nashville. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. You know, you know what that relationship looks like, right? So we wanted to move into a little bit of conversation about the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, I know I'm making the same face too, buddy. It's been been rough. Did you get a chance to to watch the home and home series with Montreal last week? Uh you mean the Montreal win streak? Yeah, sorry. I forgot that yeah, your team is like finally like crawling out of the gutter a little bit here.
0: I was gonna say our, our two wins this season.
1: Well, they, so they <laughs> Detroit lost six to three on Thursday. That's like a pretty modest defeat as far as I'm concerned. And Saturday, oh my God, they got just <laughs> rocked, ten to one. Did you watch yeah. any of that game?
0: I turned it off after the first period. I was like, "Oh, this is us."
1: <laughs> uh, dude. I, well, it's just interesting to see that Montreal is like actually scoring goals now.
0: As yeah, I know. Been, like
1: such an obstacle, dude. The fact that Montreal can put up. 10 goals in a game when they've been struggling. I mean, it's also a testament to how bad Detroit is. or has Well, been that's what of.
0: I mean. Like, I didn't want it, to... It was like... Oh, I won't even say. It's a bad reference. But, like, it's... It's, um. It's it's like... I, I don't even know. It, it was such a pointless fight. Like, I didn't want to see Montreal beat up on Detroit because what's it worth to them? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, like, it, it, it's like the two teams fighting for the second worst spot like it's i didn't want to see that happen
1: yeah but i mean as far as that division goes like you know it's interesting to see i mean obviously i keep an eye on the eastern conference as a whole but you know obviously a a divisional game i I wanted to be you know kind of keep my eye on it as the game went on and i get like these notifications to my phone right with the nhl app So anytime there's like a goal or whatever on a game that I'm following on that particular night, like the notification goes off. And I like straight up thought that the app was broken because it kept going (laughs) off and off and off and off. Right. So, um, yeah, like I wanted to kind of get into Detroit because I think it's easy to look at Detroit and go like, okay, what is going on with this team? And I look at the coaching situation and I look at, you know, our boy Jeff Blaschel. And you wonder if at some point or another the Red Wings take a look at the situation and they go, okay, well, you know, kind of what have you done for me lately? They were unsuccessful last year. And, of course, there's been lots of variables that kind of lead into their success. But I think barring a trade of some kind, you always hear this, like, age-old thing, like, oh, at least least give the coach and the GM a trade to, like, try and figure it out. And maybe that'll kind of spark, you know, uh, a, a little bit of momentum that way. But... Jeff Blashell has, has, has been kind of in a rough spot. And then we also look at general manager uh, Ken Holland. He's in the last year of his contract. Um, so it's, it's really hard to say whether or not the ownership group of um, Chris Illich of the Illich family, you wonder, you know, are they going to bring in a head coach? And let's say they do bring in a head coach. You get a new GM if Ken Holland doesn't sign. Uh, and then you you know you always hear about how GMs want to bring in their own guy, uh, air quote. So, yeah. is it worth even changing up like what's been going on in Detroit for Ken Holland to move on? Let's say, and then you know the potential of having two coaches in the next couple of seasons. What are your thoughts on that, man?
0: Two coaches in the next couple of seasons.
1: Yeah, for Detroit, like there's just the possibility that maybe Jeff Blashell isn't the guy, you know, he served yeah. under Mike Babcock, obviously, you know, I think both of us as Canadian hockey fans are, you know, we, we like Mike Babcock. So, <laughs> you know, you wonder, you think Jeff Blaschel's like lost the room? I don't know. But it just it hasn't been very promising for them. And I'm just concerned that they you know, get a new GM next year if the ownership group's like, all right, buy Ken Holland, buy Jeff Blashill. Like, we're moving on. Maybe they take a look at like, you know, Dave Tippett or Dan Bilesma. Mike Keenan just got fired from the KHL. Maybe they bring in Mike Keenan from uh, For the yeah. Russian
0: factor there.
1: <laughs> no, well, he wasn't even. He was coaching in the KHL, but he was coaching uh, the Kunlun Red Star, the, oh, Chin- yeah. Kine- uh, the Chinese KHL team, uh, yeah, which is fucking crazy could you imagine Mike Keenan behind the bench of the Red Wings right now <laughs> but as a coach which you are the coach I am the assistant coach for those of you who uh, were skipping at the beginning here at what point like have you ever felt like you've lost the room at any level that you've coached
0: um, well there's a difference between losing the room and letting the team lose itself like if you think about a player like Zetterberg um, like I know, we spoke in earlier episodes about like, um, like, Yager kind of prolonging his career, and he should be kind of out of the game. Um, there's only so much you can do for a franchise as well. Um, I feel like Zetterberg, when he came into Detroit, he showed a lot of promise for Detroit, and he was a great, kind of, um, player to bounce off of Datsuk and everything, but without Datsuk, Zetterberg's not a number one person to like kind of hang your hat on like he can only do so much for the franchise Um, so I feel like they need to kind of free up that cap space in that room and let Zetterberg try his hand elsewhere or he's just going to fall down into a hole and he's going to take Detroit with him I think because he doesn't have that ability and that leadership to carry a team like that so on a player standpoint I think they need to get rid of getting rid of bigger pieces like Zetterberg. Um, But, um, yeah, like... I see what you're
1: saying, like...
0: But, like, losing the room, like, on a coaching standpoint, like, it's tough for Detroit. Like, because, like, no one in all of the years that I've been a fan of hockey could have ever expected Detroit would have a season like they had last year. Like, I know friends who are Detroit fans that have been, like, as long as I've been alive and a Detroit fan... I've never not seen Detroit in the playoffs and it's true like it's everything in Detroit they've always been a force to be reckoned with so I think um it was like earth-shattering for mm. for Detroit fans and Detroit franchise alike to see their team in that type of situation last year and then to see them try and dig themselves out of the hole this year as well so I I feel like no one really knows what to do in Detroit because they're not prepared for this type of crisis. So it literally could be anything that you replace that might fix it. It's a complete unknown for Detroit how to fix this type of situation.
1: Yeah, and it feels too like maybe a rebuild it like isn't in the cards. And obviously, Christopher Illich, who's like, I I, I believe he's the owner now after his dad passed away, Um It's kind of an interesting scenario because you're right. Like, I know lots of Detroit fans that, uh, you know, grew up with and whatever. And, yeah, they can't believe it either. It's like, yeah, my entire life, you know, the the Detroit Red Wings were always good, you know. So it's it's hard for them to imagine. I think things started to fall apart when Datsuk left. I think Ken Holland, like, made a gamble, like, oh, Datsuk's going to come back. Datsuk... Made the you know executive decision you know not to not to come back to North America and, and play in Russia, and you know I, I disagree with what you said about like Setterberg's like leadership qualities because I feel like we at times have seen him be a great leader, but I oh, I
0: don't I wasn't talking about his leadership qualities, just his ability to drag these people out of a hole like he can't do it alone.
1: Oh, okay, sorry, I misunderstood.
0: Like I I was talking to the importance of him and Datsuk as like, a commanding team. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's got no one really t- to work with him like him and Datsuk work together.
1: Sure. And, and, like, whether that's even, like, on paper, offensively, I agree. You also feel like there's there's these guys that Detroit is just spending a fortune on to be, like, these glue pieces, like, you know, Justin Abdulkader, Um, Cronwall is, is definitely not the player that he used to be. And you wonder, like, could a contending team benefit from a guy like Cronwall? Do they think about flipping a guy like Zetterberg right now and just tearing it all down? When Zetterberg's not expected to play out the rest of his contract, there was that scandal um, last season, I believe, um, where he was like, yeah, probably not going to stick around in not so many words, right? So you wonder if they, if they flip it. And I read... You know, when you and I kind of critique teams a little bit, you know, I think it's it's one thing to like kind of shit all over a team, and it's another team. It's another thing to just say like, okay, well, maybe this is what I would do. So, let hear me out on this, Carter. Let me know what you think about this. So, <laughs> if if for any reason they they say like, see you later, Jeff Blashill, like take a lap, you're finished here. If if that's the case, I saw it proposed on Twitter, but I want to say it was Craig Custance from the Athletic. Was saying that you know maybe it makes sense to promote um, Todd Nelson. Todd Nelson's been coaching the Grand Rapids Griffins in the uh, AHL, and the Grand Rapids Griffith- Griffins won the Calder Cup fairly recently. I believe it was last year or the year before. So like that yeah. that team is a good team. Detroit tends to like marinate their prospects until they're like ready to go. So you wonder if if maybe there's some movement there. Maybe Todd Nelson gets called up. And when um, this past year, um, basically Arizona, when, when they um, before they signed Rick Tockett as their coach there, they had interviewed Todd Nelson to be the coach there. So there's at least enough interest that Todd Nelson will get an NHL head coaching job in the next few years, which I thought was interesting. So you, yeah. you do that, you bring him up, you then look at a scenario where you could also look at bringing up a couple of players as well that could kind of spark it a little bit and even if that team's bad, even if they move on from some of those bigger pieces and I'm not saying that they should, but I'm saying maybe you took take a hard look and see what you could get for a guy like Cronwall or some of these other pieces cuz you're not going to contend this year and then you start to build around it, right? So, you flip a guy like Cronwall, you take a look at what you've got in the in the prospect pool and you know, you make it happen. Um, I made some some quick notes here uh, on some of the, the top prospects for Detroit right now. They've got um, Evgeny Svechnikov, who is expected to make the Red Wings out of camp this year and didn't. He's playing for Grand Rapids right now. Um, the big critique on Svechnikov is the defensive side of his game. And I imagine we'll see similar critiques for his younger brother, Andrey Svechnikov, who's touted to probably be Uh, a top pick at this coming draft. He's currently playing for the Barry Colts. Uh, We've also got Philip Ronick, who is 53rd overall in 2016. He's another guy that was supposed to be making the Red Wings at a camp and didn't come together for him so well. He's got eight points in 18 games for Grand Rapids, which is pretty mediocre. Um, And then last but not least, I got some kind of positive spots for them. Michael Rasmussen was ninth overall in 2017. Big, burly center. I think he projects to be kind of maybe a top six center as, as like the, a higher upside for him. Um, not a very popular pick. Lots of people <laughs> did not want this guy to go ninth overall. And there was a lot of jokes about, of course, it would be Detroit that drafted him. But he's playing for the Tri-City Americans in the WHL. He's got 21 points in 17 games. So this this Michael Rasmussen kid, what's interesting about him is, is that there were the, most of the like critiques and a lot of the chatter about him last year was that most of his points came from special teams. So he was good at putting the puck in the net, but only on power play. And his even strength contributions were nothing really to be too excited about. But so far, he's having a great season. Lots of people think that he may be, uh, you know, playing somewhere down the middle for Team Canada for their World Juniors team. And then last but not least another name that I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing. Dennis Chalowski, I believe is how you say it.
0: Chalowski.
1: Chalowski. I like (laughs) him. It's a good name. Uh, He's a guy that was playing uh, NCAA, or as you continue to call it, NC2A for whatever reason. Sorry, buddy. No, I think it's funny. Uh, But he's playing for the St. George Cougars in the WHL. He's got 24 points in 26 games. So, I feel like there's some promise here, but I don't know, man.
0: There is, so Like, if you think of Detroit, like, they seem to, like, love their players over 30. <laughs>
1: like... Yeah, they it, love, like, every player towards the end of their career is like, well, next stop, Detroit.
0: Like, de- like their whole defensive core, like, the top four, like, Green, Daly, Erickson. Um, I think even, uh, is it... Oh, fuck... D- 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 I forget. I, D- 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 uh, D-
1: Mr. Daniel DeKaiser.
0: Daniel DeKaiser, they're all thirty year older, aren't they? Like
1: yeah, yeah. Well, they're like, not a mobile defensive core. Either. No,
0: and that's what I mean. They need to start to let these guys go that are over the hill. Not over the hill, sorry, but they're beginning to climb over it, and they need to invest in some youth on the back end, and they need to, not be pouring the money into zetterberg and the time into zetterberg and maybe for focus on larkin like he's only 21 years old and he's someone that you could potentially build a program around
1: yeah but larkin had a bad season last year and i've seen like people i think detroit as a whole had a whole yeah you can't look at larkin and just be like oh well he had a rough season well guess what superstars have bad seasons that's yeah and kind of how it works
0: he's not looking to leave He's still trying his hardest with the losing franchise and he's only 21. Yeah. Like yeah. he's got all of the right ingredients to like to start to focus a rebuild around. Absolutely. And so I feel like they need to cut all of these 30-year-old plus players or not not cut them but like start to transition them out of the lineup and bring in trades or bring in new talent or bring in talent under 30 for fuck's sakes. Yeah. So like, I don't know that that's my big thing. Like if you have no stamina on the blue line, you're not going to generate any offense and they have a slow moving blue line and it's, it's tough to watch. So it's my biggest thing would be cut Zetterberg. Um, It would make sense um, to give Nelson a really good serious look yeah um yeah. just because you have he's he has the interest he has the burden he has the ability to win um so you might as well see what he has to prove up in the hockey's highest level um and then along with him bring up these prospects and get rid of all of these old guys because they're not doing Detroit any favors and they haven't been for the last two years
1: yeah you wonder too so I think there's two things that kind of work against our like master plan here is uh, Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids is almost always competing in the AHL. So if they lose some of that, um, you know, some of that star power uh, on that team, that's not a good feeling either. So I I do get that. Like maybe they're trying to focus on the development in the AHL and have a competitive team there, and you know, kind of watch the, the the Red Wings go up in flames. You know, uh, on, on the other side. The other side of it too is is that you know Detroit just moved into this new arena, the Joe Louis Arena. No more. Uh, they're now at the Little Caesars Arena, greatest name for a hockey arena of all time, home of the Hot and hot, Ready,
0: Hot and Ready Arena.
1: Yeah, home <laughs> home of the Hot and Ready, and you know it's it's one of those things where you wonder if the ownership group is like, hey, we just sank a shit ton of money into this you know, um, new arena, we need a team that can compete right now. We're, we're not willing to do a rebuild. We're not willing to to wait around and, like, find out, you know, what happens with some of these aging, declining players. I, I just don't think that they're, they, they're, the patience there is... I just don't feel like it's there. There's no patience.
0: Yeah, but if they bring up guys that are already in in the system, like, it would suck to see Grand Rapids kind of lose their luster um, kind of immediately like that. But like the AHL, like all of these development squads are always going to be good hockey because there's always going to be players fighting to get in the NHL. Yeah. Like I would never worry about a team struggling too intensely in that league because you're always going to have boys fighting for the top spot and it's always going to be competitive, smart fun hockey to watch and it's going to be very tough hockey to play. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry so much about the development well so much as I would start delivering on this Detroit franchise. Like their original six franchise that's shitting the bed. And like you said, they have this money to save um, that they've spent so they might as well stop like leaving these players in the slow cooker and see what they they can do up on up on the NHL stage. Like If they're putting up points like they're putting up and Detroit's already invested in them, they might as well see what they got. Like, it doesn't hurt to give them a call, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think the mismanagement of of some of their cap spaces has been a shit show too, um, which doesn't lend itself nicely to some of the young talent that's on their roster. Um, Andreas Athanasiu, he's amazing. Like, he's been such a bright spot for that team. Anthony Mantha has been a bright spot. We've talked about Dylan Larkin as well. Like there are bright spots and pieces that they can build around. um, But for the team to be like a contending team, um, as I said, the cap mismanagement has been, has been really difficult as well. So on that note, salary cap, you know, is one of those things that, you know, we've, we've kind of got into it a little bit and how it can sometimes handcuff teams. Um, Obviously it, lends itself to things like the parody that's in the league. Um, And I wanted to get into some of the conversation um, and some of the chatter that came from an interview that Craig Custance of The Athletic did with uh, Drew Doughty last week regarding his free agency status come 2019. Did you have a chance to listen to the interview, Carter?
0: I didn't, but I know the talk that's uh,
1: going on. Dude, the interview is... I listen to it so so Craig Custance, um, who we've talked about a few times on this podcast, he uh, has one of probably not one of he has literally my favorite hockey podcast uh, on iTunes. It's called the Full Sixty, um, and I would encourage everybody to listen to it um, if if you're into that kind of stuff. And he likes to talk about stuff that goes on behind the scenes of the game, um, and I'm I'm just such as such a fan uh, of that show. But anyways. He played some audio from that um, interview, which he obviously transcribed and um, wrote an, an article on the athletic. And what was so interesting about it was you felt like you were like you felt like you were there because the audio quality is, like probably from an iPhone I would imagine and you're listening to it and you're just kind of like, Oh my God, I should not be hearing this. Like there's no way that this should have ever left the dressing room. But then of course, like Craig, Craig is asking like these really, really thoughtful questions uh, and he's getting Drew Doughty to open up about what's been going on. So, um, what was really cool about it was, for those of you guys who don't know, Drew Doughty's contract expires uh, at the end of the 2018 and 2019 season. And it's very clear from this interview that he's looking for, you know, a, a sizable upgrade from what he's making right now. And it sounded like he was pretty content with, you know, being one of these kind of um, torch torch bearers or whatever you want to call it for what defensemen are expected to make in the NHL moving forward. So he had said, you know, I think that he's comfortable with being the person to set precedent. Um, and then he also mentioned that he would be speaking to fellow superstar, Eric Carlson and say like, okay, well, what's Ottawa offering you? Because this is what LA is offering me. And arguably as two of the top five defensemen in the league, they should be making something comparable, right? Yeah. Currently, uh, P.K. Subban's making the most money in the league, and I believe Ryan Suter is behind him uh, in terms of salary cap hit. Um, but Carlson, so so basically, to, to kind of tie a note on that, or tie a, tie a bow on that thought, is they're basically in cahoots that they're they're going to work through it together and find out a deal that makes sense for either of them. Neither of them sounded like they were married to staying with their franchises, and then Carlson put a bit of uh, put a bit of oil in the fire by saying <laughs> that, "quote unquote," I'm going to get what I'm worth, and it's going to be no less, no matter where I'm going. Which is like, okay, fair enough. You uh, you know what you're worth, and you're going to go and get it. Which I kind of applaud him for that, right? Carlson. I don't know, do you feel like Carlson is regarded as the better defenseman over Drew Doughty? Like, what's what's kind of your thought on that? Who do you think is maybe entitled to more? Um,
0: I don't know, they're kind of... They're hard to compare, because you have one in the Western Conference, one in the Eastern Conference. Um, and I feel... It's tough to say who's accomplished more, because they both bring different things to the table. Like... I feel like Doughty's had a bit more of a consistent career. Like, you've heard more about Doughty in the longevity of his NHL career, whereas Carlson's just starting to light a
1: fire. Well, I think it kind of, like, my thought was, and I think what you're trying to say is is that, like, Doughty has, like, more of an established resume.
0: Yeah, like... Like,
1: with the cups, the gold medals, which Carlson doesn't have.
0: That's what I, like, Doughty's always been a top-tier, consistent, competitive defenseman. And Carlson is just kind of finding it, like, Doughty found his game a lot sooner than Carlson did, if that makes any sense.
1: Kind of. I mean, I feel like Carlson, you're right, it is hard to, like, kind of articulate it. So yeah, I've, I've always... it, It's hard
0: to compare them, because they're both phenomenal top tier defenseman like you said like it's i think it's hard to pit one against the other doughty's
1: just had a better supporting cast because i feel like if you put carlson in la like you do a bit of like a swap i think carlson i think carlson still tops out as the better player personally and i i feel like because carlson um you know has been on an ottawa team that has had challenges that it maybe doesn't it doesn't work out the same way. It's been convenient, maybe, for Drew Doughty to have been on great teams, and of course he's been, you know, a, a workhorse throughout all of that. Whether it was, um, you know, his contributions to Canada on the national stage, but also for the LA Kings, you know, Stanley Cup playoffs, they won all those cups. It was, you know, a really positive experience for him that way. I still feel like Carlson's better, right? I mean, he's. Well- he doesn't Carlson have that resume, but...
0: Yeah, but Carlson also has, um, like, if you think about shelf life, like, I feel like Carlson's going to last a bit longer than Doughty is.
1: See, I feel the other way. I feel the opposite on that, personally. Really? Well, because Dowdy Doughty hasn't had the injury history that Carlson's had.
0: I guess that's true, but I, I feel like right now, Carlson has a bit more of a burn than Doughty does.
1: Yep. I feel like Carlson has something to prove. Hey guys, sorry about that. We had a few audio issues towards the end of the podcast and had to end sort of abruptly. So I apologize for that. The good news is that Christmas is around the corner and I just bought Carter a new microphone. So that'll make our audio quality significantly better. Thank you for checking it out, uh, even with some of the poor audio quality. We do appreciate it. You can follow Carter and I on Twitter. You can follow me at ckillingsworth 9 And you can follow Carter at Carter Lupel, And you can also follow along on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud at Listen to Hosers. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. It's a beauty wave. Go.